Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here along with the silent assassin Matt Costa. It's just the two of us tonight. Just the two of us. You can sing along if you want, Matt, because I turned your microphone on. You don't, But you which want. microphone? Oh, look. Yeah, see? Look. Well, because it had a big number four on it. Ah. So I figured it out. It was able to uh, jump out there at me. This, these headphones sound weird. I haven't worn these ones in a long time. Do I sound okay? I'm not too loud, am I? Uh, nope. All right. Fine. It's it's weird because these these have been in my bag and I just, I never use them. I use those other ones. And so I threw these on and said, I don't feel like walking into the other room and getting my regular headphones. And now it, it sounds super weird because these are like way more like technically. Are they like advanced. a noise canceling or whatever? They're noise. I don't have the noise canceling on, but they're still very noise canceling. Hmm. And they're also super sensitive. Like I'm picking up that fan behind me, so yeah. But we'll we'll be fine. <laughs> we are here to talk about the paranormal, not about our headphones, uh, which we do each and every Saturday night. It's just myself and Matt Costa tonight because Moniz is I don't know where Moniz is. <laughs> he didn't tell us where he was going to be tonight. But uh, Stephanie's in in San Antonio, Texas. They went to the Alamo yesterday. I know what you're going to say. <laughs> Did they visit the basement? I don't think so. There's no basement in the Alamo. Are you sure? That's what that's what Jan Hooks told me. But uh, <laughs> from but they were there. We should call her right now and like stop. Drop what yep. you're doing. Are the, go back to the Alamo. Are the stars that bright? Look, <laughs> she's gonna call in from a payphone. I'm in Texas. We're like, no, you're not. Come on. No, really, I am. The <laughs> stars are dark. But uh, no, they're down, she's down in Texas with uh, John Brightman and Porter. I don't, I don't get invited to these to these conferences. No. They, they claim they don't want me. Are you not allowed in Texas? No, I, I'm, as far as I know, I should be allowed in Texas. I've I've never been in Texas. I've flown over Texas. I've always wanted to go to Texas, but you know, I don't know what it is. I haven't heard too many ghost stories from Texas area. Yeah, I've, I mean, I've heard some. Yeah, you know, but I'm, I'm sure there's one of those uh, haunted. Texas books. And- yeah, oh yeah. I mean, uh, Galveston is a mm-hmm. town that has a lot of paranormal activity because that is a town that was decimated by a hurricane in the early 1900s. So a lot of Galveston has been dealing with ghosts due to that hurricane. But, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's probably quite a few out there. There's, there was a lot of the different things that's gone on over Texas's history. You know, six flags over Texas. They, they've been under six different flags. So... They've seen a lot of battles. They've seen a lot of uh, a lot of fighting. They've seen a lot of unique things that have gone on in their history with the you know, the Mexican border wars and all that mm-hmm. stuff. So I'm sure that they've probably found some pretty good haunted places. But I'm, it's Saturday night at a paranormal convention, so they're not ghost hunting. They're probably all at a bar somewhere partying doing karaoke <laughs> probably all that stuff well we're here doing the show and we'll be joined uh a little bit later on by our guest tonight shane searway he'll be joining us to talk about his work in the paranormal field we'll also hopefully be checking in with christy over at the oliver house tonight because next weekend is our big bridgewater triangle mysterious middleborough event and there are still some tickets available so if you want to join us for that Definitely go to SpookySouthCoast.com right now and get your tickets. But we're going to be investigating three different locations next Saturday. The Oliver House, the Mayflower Masonic Lodge, and the Middleborough Town Hall. The three most famous haunts in Middleborough. We will be checking them all out in one night. And you can get your tickets now at SpookySouthCoast.com. 
Uh, last week we had I had an event. Everybody else was scattered all over the place. Uh, I think Moniz last week was in Salem for Paroween. I think that was last weekend. I don't think it's this right. weekend. So that means that Moniz and I were like just a couple miles away from each other, but just doing completely different things last Saturday. Uh, we were at the uh, Parson, uh, the T- Parson Barnard house in North Andover, which people had seen on Haunted Towns, and it looked like a really cool place, and people had been asking us to do some North Shore events. So we put this together with the Parson Barnard house, and it was a small group, you know, just mm-hmm. about 20 people, because it's just it's just a house. And um, we were pretty... You know, laid, pretty low-key, pretty laid-back event. Uh, a lot of everybody there had experience pretty much, so we didn't really worry too much about having it be very structured. And we kind of just let people do their own thing. So while we're doing the event, you know, we walked up to the cemetery, which is a short walk from the house, and that's where the Barnards are buried, including Thomas Barnard. And we started looking over some of the gravestones of the Barnard family, and we realized that Thomas Barnard, whose house we were investigating had passed away on October 13th of 1718. So we were only about a week, we were literally a week after, uh, eight days after his the anniversary of his death, but we also realized that next year, October 13th, 2018, will be a Saturday night, and that will be the 300th anniversary of the passing of Thomas Barnard. So we are actually... I've already talked to the caretaker, Greg, and we have booked the house for October 13th, 2018. So we will have an event there on that date. So this is the first time that we've ever announced an event a year in advance. But we secured that date because we were making some great connections in that house, and we want to go back and help. Because the whole thing with Thomas Barnard is people have tied him into the Salem Witch Trials as being one of the accusers. And in all actuality... He was trying to, to calm down some of the witch hysteria. So he's gotten a bad rap over the century. So we were trying to help help with that reputation. So that's what we're going to do next year is we're going to observe the 300th anniversary of his passing by reaching out to him both at the cemetery and at the house. So it'll be a while before we put those tickets up for sale. But just keep that date open on your calendar if you want to join us for that. But So there's stories that at one point this house was used as a uh, a boarding school for for boys and there was a teacher i forget the last name but his first name was Simeon and he was not very nice to the boys he would he would beat them and abuse them and so at one point we're all in the attic most well before we even got to the attic one of the stories is that something in that house will throw pennies at you and so they have a couple of pennies that they keep up on a dresser in that room so I had my flashlight next to where the pennies are so that, you know, if anything went over there and tried to touch the pennies, maybe it would set the flashlight off. And I made sure I secured the flashlight so that it wouldn't go anywhere. And we are trying to coax whatever's there to throw the pennies at us. And there were two pennies. There's a penny from the year 2000 and one penny from the year, I think it was 1979 or whatever. And so the older penny, I took it in my hand and I had everybody kind of hold it for a few minutes to charge it up to see if maybe we could pass off some electricity, some some uh, energy onto it. And then we put that up on the dresser, and we said if it throws a penny, it'll be interesting to see which penny actually gets thrown. Well, as we're sitting there trying to coax it to throw this penny at us, all of a sudden, my flashlight just gets... My flashlight comes on for a second, and then just gets knocked off the, the dresser, which was kind of cool. 
But, you know, we're trying to recreate it, see, did it roll? Is it possible that it just, you know, rolled off after a couple seconds? But the fact that the light came on first, maybe something touched it. So anyway, so we're up in the attic because I said, let's find a nice quiet place where we can sit in pitch blackness and try and just kind of feel out the house. And so as we're up there, it was really strange because you could feel some sort of a tension in the air. And you know how when you sit in a dark room, after a while, your eyes start to adjust? And then you can see a little bit in the dark. Obviously, we're not going to see well in the dark, but you can see something. Right, Matt? You, I mean, you you know what I mean. Right. Like, after a while, if you hold your hand up in front of your face, you can see your hand. Right. I mean, uh, when the lights go out at first, you're kind of blinded. But after time, your eyes get used to it. Yeah, you, you adjust. Your, your pupils dilate. You can see a little bit better in the dark. Well... This was so weird because we could never, our eyes never adjusted. We could never, like, we were holding our hands up in front of our faces and couldn't see it. It's like the atmosphere was that thick. And we were having shadows that we were kind of walking by us. And it's like, how come we can see those, but we can't see our hands? It was just really strange. And so I pulled out EchoVox and we started communicating with the boys that were kept up in that attic. And they started telling us their names, and we're talking to William, and I forget the other names, but I just remember William coming through quite frequently. And we asked them, you know, are you afraid? And they're telling us they're afraid, and we're like, what are you afraid of? And and Simeon comes out of the the Echo Vox, and it came out of the Echo Vox on multiple occasions. I'm like, well, that's really weird, because that's not a common name either. You know, I don't know too many people that have been named Simeon, except the, the quarterback for the Broncos, but that's his last name. So anyway, I come up with the idea because, you know, we're getting all this activity going on. I said to one of the women, I said, well, you know, you're a girl. Why don't you try? If Simeon's the kind of guy that wants to beat up kids, I'm sure it wouldn't take too kindly to a woman kind of calling him out. So one of the women that were there starts calling him out and immediately just called her a bitch, which I thought was pretty strong and profound. And it was just, it went, this went on for, you know, over an hour. And so it was just the name crazy Simeon, intense. Or? That was his first name. I can't remember his last name. Like, historically. Oh. And that was the name of the person that was the teacher. And then to have that also come through the Echo Vox was, was pretty cool. That is interesting. Yeah. We had all kinds of weird experiences happening up there. But uh, it's definitely a great place. And so, like I said, we're going to go back for the 300th anniversary of Thomas Barnard's passing on October 13th, 2018. So keep that date open on your calendar, and we'll have information as, as the date gets closer. But like I said, next Saturday night, that's Mysterious Middleborough, and you know we're just getting the plug out of the way. Christy's going to try and check in with us in the next few minutes from the Oliver House, just to kind of let us know about all the interesting things that have been going on there over the last couple of weeks, and, and we'll talk a little bit more about what we're doing there. And then uh, Shane Searway will join us in just a few moments also to talk about his work in the paranormal. And then, just for a few moments at the beginning of the 11 o'clock hour, we're going to have a conversation with the... We're going to talk to Kevin Raper, who is the son-in-law of our Gary Patterson. And we lost Gary a few months ago. We we had an episode where we paid tribute to Gary, and and, uh, of course, you know, it's still... Still very raw that we lost one of our one of our idols and one of our favorite people in, in the paranormal world, but they've found a way to keep his work alive, and so they're going to join us to talk about this new project that they have, which I think is great. 
and I've I've heard little bits and pieces of it, and I think people are really going to like it. So they'll join us in just a few moments, a little bit later on in this show, and then we want to have them come back for a full show or at least part of a show to talk a little bit more about Gary's legacy and some of the ways that they plan on on keeping his work alive because there's not enough there's not enough people doing what Gary did. You know, putting in the work, putting in the time, making the personal connections to get these stories about rock and roll legends and curses. I mean, just look at a lot of the paranormal stuff. People just go online, they find they find things, they find stories, they find firsthand accounts, whatever, and they'll write about it, but they don't take the time to get to know the people and to get the real inside information and to convey the emotions that are involved, and that's something that Gary always did. So, uh, like I said, we'll we'll find out a little bit more about what they have in the works and how they're keeping our Gary Patterson's memory alive. So that'll be a little bit later on in the show, just uh, just after the 11 o'clock news. And you can call in at any point, 508-996-0500, 877-996-1420. And, of course, the chat room is open at SpookySouthCoast.com, Spooky TV. You can watch the show as you listen. Is there... Uh, what, what was I just going to ask you about? I don't know. You don't, you don't know what I was going to ask you just went out of my head. Talking about the live right. stream. Right. In the talk- chat room. Yes, talking about the chat All the room. ways that you can interact. All the Hashtag ways you can interact. Live. The app. We have the app. Download the yep. free app. And I feel like there's something that I'm missing here that I wanted to bring up. Hmm. Oh, I know what I want to talk to you about. I wanted, I wanted to, to, to bring it up on the show and publicly point out. What's this? The spooky clips. These things, oh, yeah. are, these things are taking off. Right. And spooky clips are if you haven't gone to our uh, to our face uh, to our YouTube account. I mean, if you go to the YouTube account, you'll see Matt takes out some of the best moments of the interview, some of the best moments of the show, makes little smaller clips of the show. So, of course, we want you to watch the entire program. But if you don't watch the entire program, or if you don't have time to sit and watch it, and you just want to get a feeling of what it was about, these clips are great. Well, these spooky clips, I want to put the word out to everybody out there. They're also very shareable. So take those clips and put them up on your Twitter page. Put them up on your Facebook. Share them. Get the word out. Help us promote Spooky South Coast. But also, you know, you might know somebody that is interested in weird news stories or somebody who's had a UFO experience that might want to hear about somebody else's. You know, and it's a way to kind of give them a little bit of information and help without them having to sit and listen to an entire show. So Matt does a fantastic job of making the clips, and we just want you to help spread them around. That's what I've been meaning. I've been meaning to promote those clips for a couple of shows now. So, all right. Well, we have joining us on the line, I believe we have Christy on the line now. Christy, is that you? It is I. Hello. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I think you're breaking up just a little bit, so I don't know if I'm losing your signal or uh, not. Christy, we don't have can to break. Okay? We don't have to break up. We can we can okay. stay friends. Well, I'd like for us to kind of stay together. Breakups can be nasty sometimes, you know, and I like to be a happy person. You are a very happy person. Uh, how's things going over there tonight? Uh, it, it's been, as always, a very interesting night. Um, I'm going to tell you the winner of the night is the uh, phantom dog poop smell. Um, that we have smelled consistently off and on all night long across both groups of people who came out for the tour tonight. So the dog's been hot and heavy in the house tonight. Hmm. Um, We've had a lot of folks in the house that 
have taken some interesting photographs. You know, they've been uh, really snap happy with the cell phones, which we encourage here at the Oliver House. And uh, a lot of people have felt as if they've had their shirt tugged on by a small person, uh, both upstairs and downstairs in some of the older kitchens. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, right, and i got to tell you something. Uh, do you remember how uh, a few weeks ago when you were here, we had the uh, pitcher kind of fly off the wall and break the pottery? Yes, yes, that was uh, very intense. Yes, it was. Well, we moved the pitcher, and uh, of course the glass is all broken out of it, so it's nothing to break in, in the pitcher anymore. We moved the pitcher and put it in the hallway. Uh, below the stairs, there's a nail, and we put it there and hung it up. And apparently, they don't like it there either, because it has come off the wall a few times. Wow. Yeah. So apparently, we have really sucky taste in artwork. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the, the photos, not the, the picture's not that bad. It's really not. It's it's kind of a warm, inviting picture, but apparently, the energies that are here don't really care for it that much. And that's okay. But we had to test the theory and see if it was the picture or if it was the area that it was hung, you know, in the old kitchen. But it seems to be that they just don't like the artwork. Well, I mean, that was one of the more profound things that I've ever had happen because it was it, it was at the end of the night. It was after people had left. We were all just kind of sitting in the room. And there's no way that it was anybody stomping on the floor above us. There's no way it was anybody banging on a wall. You know, when you have every person that's in the room directly, every person that's in the building directly in your line of sight and something like that happens, mm-hmm. there's there's no other word to explain it than paranormal, especially when we went in there and tried to figure out how it could have happened. And it would have taken mm-hmm. some sort of force reaching up underneath the picture and knocking it off the wall because of the way that it was hung. Exactly. Exactly. It's, um, I mean, the house, it's, um, and uh, as anybody who's um, handling properties and doing tours, like Rise Up, for instance, I've got, I'm sure that they can understand this and other teams in the area who handle, like, the Lizzie Borden house and things. Um, once you're in here for a long enough period of time, you almost become accustomed to the things that the house is, it does or the energies do in the house. So it's kind of like second nature to you. But then sometimes sometimes from time to time they do something completely incredible and that night with the pitcher that was a completely incredible night we continue to have things move around like objects moving in front of us um so since the pitcher we've actually had cat balls rolling around on the floor mm. and lighting up so they they have their moments where they're really strong here in the house and we're lucky enough that we're in it to be able to experience it and uh, share it with people. And so uh, I know that you guys also just investigated the town hall too, right? That's correct, yes. We were only there for about three hours. It was a very, very short period of time. Um, But it was enough because while we were there and we were up in the main uh, ballroom area, we had a lot of activity we were sitting on the floor in the center of the ballroom, and you could hear the floor popping around you as if somebody was walking around you. You hmm. could feel the floor beneath you as if somebody was putting weight on it. Uh, we were actually able to, with our audio recorders, capture some phantom piano music 
And it just goes on and on and on and on and on, which is unusual, but it was a beautiful piece of audio that we walked away at the end of the night with that, you know, we shared to the people who did ghost tours uh, this weekend at uh, the town hall, um, and people were just blown away by it. But we've got no explanation for it. You know, there is a, there is a piano uh, in the town hall but at the time it was recorded, we were in the balcony, and nobody was near the piano. Mm-hmm. But it was just like somebody was sitting there playing it. Right. So you were in, you were kind of in the same room as the pian- piano. We were in the main ballroom. But you're in a different so, section of it. Yeah, we were up in the balcony that overlooks the ballroom. Yeah, it's like a big auditorium type setup. So. Oh like, yeah. It so is. you're mm-hmm. you know you're able um, to see out below you, and and you could see if anybody would be down there. Exactly. Yes. Now, the town hall, what's interesting about that is people who don't even, you know, believe in the paranormal or really uh, go out to seek it or experience it, they have a lot of experiences there. Um, One of the most recent that seems to be uh, a similar story from each particular person that witnesses this is an apparition that's as solid as you and me. He has color about him. It's a man in, like, work clothes, and he appears, and he's just walking through. And I think uh, one of the people thought at first it was like a janitor, but it's not. Um, It seems to be possibly the energy of the man who actually constructed the town hall, and his name was, I think, Solomon Eaton. Yes. Who passed away of a heart attack before the hall was completed, right before it was completed. So uh, there's also a little girl that's there on the balcony area primarily. Uh, You can hear her, you know, walking around and playing and humming and singing. Um, There's multiple energies down in the basement. The basement is really an interesting space. I think you actually had experience down there before, didn't you, I did. That's where I uh, communicated with uh, with Ed Warren's spirit through the the Echo Vox. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, we um, we did a very, very short stand. I bet we were probably in the basement, well, maybe 10, 15 minutes the night we were there. We were upstairs most of the time. Um, but while we were there, we kept, we caught some incredible audio uh, of, uh, we opened a door, and uh, this woman came through very clearly on her audio as if it was like 30 years delayed. What that means, we're not quite sure. But you can hear our voices, and then you hear this other voice that is not any of the people that's down there come through very loud, just as a matter of factly, and make a comment when we open that door. So I think, uh, you know, when folks come out to the town hall, I think they're in for a real treat. I think uh, absolutely, and uh, as I said, we still have some tickets available. If people want to get those tickets, they can do so at SpookySouthCoast.com. You can uh, join in with us next Saturday night from Mysterious Middleborough. We're doing it to raise some money for the Oliver House restorations. You'll get to investigate the town hall. You'll get to investigate the Oliver House and also the Mayflower Masonic Lodge as well. And, uh, and of course, we'll you know, do the usual thing, pizza, dinner, and snacks, and drinks, and all that stuff, too. And, uh, and mm-hmm. I think it's going to be a, a really – I'm just getting the feeling, Chrissy, it's going to be a really weird night. Yes, I I think so, too. <laughs> yeah. I can feel it kind of brewing. Uh, I think at all locations, there's a possibility that people are going to walk away and say, wow. I mean, wow. Um, 
Middleborough in general is it's just an amazing place because it is a part of the Bridgewater Triangle. So, as you know from other towns, there seems to be just like hot spots of this sort of activity. Um, and these three locations that people are going to be able to go into are some of those major hot spots in this town. So, it's worth it. Absolutely. It really is worth it. Well, we look forward to seeing you uh, next Saturday night, and I'm sure I'll talk to you before then. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I hope night. everybody has a uh, a great night there, and y'all make sure to get online and get your tickets. We are so excited to bring you here to experience the Oliver Estate. Absolutely, and uh, you stay safe tonight, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. Good night. Have a good night. That is Christy Parrish over at the Oliver House, and again, you can join us next Saturday night. Go to SpookySouthCoast.com if you want to take part in that. All right, I'm going to bring up our guest uh, right now. Hold on. I'm going to do this live on the air. If, see, if we had, if we we need producers, Matt. That's what we need. Right. We need producers that are like hanging out with us all the time, waiting, you know, so that when I have an idea, right, on a Wednesday afternoon at four o'clock in the afternoon, coffee in one hand, notepad in the other, right, all times, and then they can, they can uh, also do all the grunt work here on the show. Yes. Which when it comes time, they're trying to connect with people and all that stuff and. Let's see if we've got Shane with us. Hello, Shane. Hello. With us. Oh, I, I see you, Shane. Can you hear us? Oh, hold on. Wait a minute. I got to do this thing. Can you hear me now, Shane? Is that right, Matt? I put it in audition so they can hear me. Right. I got you. All right. Cool. I'm hearing an echo though. I'm hearing myself. Um. Let's see if I can. How do I adjust that? I think you might have to turn something down in your. Wait a minute. Matt's pointing to me. What do you say, Matt? Uh, I do have it up, but I don't. I have it muted. The YouTube. Can you still hear me? Okay. I can hear you. Oh, the echo's gone. Okay. Yeah, I think. I think once we push the buttons over here, it changes things up. See, this is what we do. We do it all on the fly. <laughs> there you go. So uh, I did not read your bio, so I'm going to give everybody a quick taste of, of what it is that you do. And, of course, if you want to check out Shane's website, it's trueghost.com. He's been helping families and individuals for over 30 years. He has a rare 100% success rate at getting rid of nasty parasitic hauntings, which we're definitely going to talk about tonight. His understanding of the mechanics of what allows a haunt is untouched. He gets called in when investigators, demonologists, and clergy fall short in providing relief, and he has succeeded every time. Shane doesn't stop there. He's currently involved in several areas that have UFO sightings, Sasquatch, Sasquatch sightings, and Shadow People sightings. He's at the center of some of the biggest cases. And again, you can check out his website, trueghost.com, to find out more. And, uh, and of course, we'll talk about some of these cases as well throughout the course of the discussion. But we welcome Shane Searway to the show. Did I say it right, Searway? Yeah, you got it. All right. See, and I was telling you kind of over Facebook that here on the south coast of Massachusetts, people take a lot of liberties with French names. Yes. So we, you know, I, if I've had multiple friends with the last name Dubois, and some are Dubois, some are Dubois, some are, you know, even different combinations of that. So you can never Same be too Benoit sure. versus Benoit, you know. Yeah, we have, we have a lot of Benoits here, but no, we don't have any Benoits. We have Benoits. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, which is, it's so strange. So I, I'm, I'm always very careful with the French names because you never know which way it's going to go. Well, for example, Jeff Belanger. You know, everybody knows Jeff Belanger in the paranormal, but in French it would be Belanger. Right, and right. in other places they pronounce it Bellinger. So, you know, you all these different pronunciations for things. Yep. That's why I, yep. have a, I have a name that people can just butcher 
no matter where they are. It's not location specific. There's no right. dialect involved. It's just it's always butchered. So you uh, you know dealing with the type of hauntings that you deal with, uh, dealing with parasitic hauntings. It's it's funny that you know we're talking to you now because this is a time of year when people are going out to different events, different haunted places. They're going out and kind of just trying to have a, a little bit of Halloween fun. And that Halloween fun can kind of turn around on people with the possibility of something latching onto them and following them home. I, I assume that a lot of the cases that you've dealt with probably have to do with people that have gone to these places looking for a thrill and come home with something that they didn't expect. No, absolutely. I mean, it's the same thing with the use of the Ouija board. It's not the board that's the evil thing. It's a board's just a tool that focuses your, your attention on the possibility of an interaction. And when you give attention to this, to the subject, you know, you're opening yourself up because these, these parasitic entities need your attention. You know, you, you give, give them something your attention, you're giving energy and it's drawn towards that. And so, um, you know, the next thing too is, um, when people venture off into these situations, they, they, they don't want to obsess about that you know about interaction even though it's 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 fun you kind of got to be like um you you, you got to kind of be open-minded but you got to be level two and, and you can't um you can't fear it if, if there's an ounce of fear even though we want that it's kind of exciting for people right but that fear is also um it, it it's broadcast through uh your emotional frequency so even if you're not acting afraid these parasites know that you are and and you're going to become a target. It's a vulnerability that they look for. So the attention and the um, the fear. Um, so when you go off to a supposed you know local haunted place, I've, I've had to deal with um, it will help many people that got in trouble that way. Same thing, you know, for the same reasons. Uh, the use of a Ouija board, and I've actually helped a lot of uh, investigators um, who got into trouble. Um, some you guys might have even heard of, but I I do it all behind the scenes in confidential and everything. But sure, yeah. Yeah, so I've, I've, uh, helped out quite a few investigators that, you know, that were seasoned, but they, they found themselves in a little trouble. Well, I mean, but that's the thing is you can have all the experience in the world with going into haunted places and, and feeling like you have a control of the situation, but we don't really know what it is that we're dealing with and what it's capable of. So even though you feel like you're in control, that control is probably a false illusion. And at any given time, you know, things can go south pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, what what I've years ago when I started this work, I unlearned everything I thought I knew. You know, all the books I might have read. And growing up, you know, I at a very young young age, my first paranormal experience was forty one years ago. And so um, going forward, it was just uh, you know, in having a mechanical aptitude, it was it was trying to figure out what. What allows it, you know, and I mean, not at, at, at a wicked, wicked young age, but as I got older, that, that was my purpose was to kind of figure th- this out. And, and, um, so I put in a process to identify trends and I started connecting some dots and, and started to realize, um, how these things operate and what, what initiates that haunt, what allows it to continue, what allows it to escalate. And so, um, you know, I've, I've been doing this a long, long time and I've helped, uh, thousands of people already and, and it, in the way I've done it, um, once I connected those dots and kind of had an idea of what these things are going after, um, and and I've I haven't failed one person, you know, so I've been able to help every single person that's been been afflicted by these um, parasites. After you know, other people might have gone in after they called in their priests or they had other groups in there who all kind of use the same type types of tactics because that was another thing that I looked at when I started this work is like 
how come I'm going in after so many clergy, you know, priests and stuff? Um, how come I'm going in after so many groups? What are they doing differently than what I believe to be, you know, the mechanics? And, and so, um, I start to, to realize that, um, they're basically using like paranormal against the paranormal. And what I do is I, I kind of go in there and I identify, um, you know, the, the root cause and, and I manipulate that. And so, and it might be different for different people, you know, but, um, there was a case that I did in Woonsocket, Rhode Island in 1998 that was actually, it was written about in a book and everything. And, but, uh, this guy was being attacked for two years solid, um, waking up in the middle of the night with this disfigured, he said a hideous woman inches from his face. You know, he'd just wake up, you know, two in the clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning, she'd be right in his face. And, um, he actually went gray overnight, um, after my first visit down there to, to do my initial, you know, interview with him. And, uh, but I, first time I walked in, he goes, all right, he goes, it, something's up because they were, they were really acting up. And then about a half hour ago, they just got real quiet. They must know you're coming, you know? And so we walked in the door and as soon as we walked in, a lamp flew off his desk about 15 feet or so and, and hit him, hit him in the leg. And he just, he goes, he goes, see, that's what I'm talking about. He, it, it, I could tell by his reaction that he'd been dealing with much worse for a long period of time because it didn't startle him. He was, it was just like, that was nothing compared to what he's been dealing with. So, um, there was other investigators involved, um, before me that went into the basement and they all, um, doubled over with earaches and migraines. They had to leave. Um, his, he had his Roman Catholic priest come in, bless the home. It got much worse after that. He asked the guy to come back. The guy came, got to the door and said, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I can't go back in there. So, um, he had invited another investigator, um, from, from the local town and he, this guy ended up hearing about me online and, and he, he says, you know, I really think that you can help me. Will you come down? I said, sure, you know, absolutely. I said, but I want to make sure I'm not stepping on the toes of this other investigator. I normally work alone. I'm willing to work with him, um, whatever it takes to help you, you know, get you relief. Cause I could really tell this guy was traumatized and dealing with a lot. So, um, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. So the guy agreed and I, and I agreed to work with him and we went down and it ended up being Paul, you know, who now is like a brother of mine. He were, we're real close friends and I, I co-host on his radio show, um, quite often. But anyway, um, so what I asked this gentleman, because I need to kind of figure out what this, this parasite's feeding off of. Um, so I, I asked him, how long have you lived here? He said, my girlfriend's lived here for 11 years. I've lived here for six years. I said, how long have you been being attacked? He said, only the last two years. I said, so something happened two years ago that changed your emotional state of being or sent shockwaves through this environment that changed things. I mean, it, it had to been something dramatic um, that really lowered your emotional, you know, state of being or whatever your frequency, because I find it's like a two-way radio with these things. They need us at a certain frequency, if you will, or at a certain emotional state in order to connect with us. And that's how I treat it. I elevate people's emotions. I get them out of the, 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 uh, spot that they're at and, um, it breaks the connection. These things just disappear. But, um, now what, what, so I said, what changed two years ago? He goes, actually, it all started, um, Three, three weeks after I got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Now, pancreatic cancer doesn't have a good, you know, it, that's not, a, it's not a good thing. There's no good turnaround with right, that. So, yeah. so, um, I, he was put on meds. He was, because of the meds, he couldn't work and who would want to anyways. Um, 
And so he was at home uh, just doing nothing but soaking in negativity and just thinking about the fact that he's probably going to die. He was also a Vietnam vet, a hero, um, who witnessed his friends being blown up in front of him. So he, he had all these bad memories, and he was also a recovering alcoholic. Uh, he had been recovering for like two or three years. Um, and, and and also, you know, the cancer thing and the Vietnam memory. So um, all this negative stuff, it, it, it lowered his his emotional state of being, but it also exposed that vulnerability. Now, he's vulnerable, and that's what these parasitic entities look for. So they they popped in and they just latched on and, and they were absolutely tormented and doing everything they could to keep them down and, and um, keep them where they wanted them, you know. So um, there was another investigator that I brought there who was older than me and, and, you know, fooled me into thinking that he was much more experienced. I won't, you know, I won't say his name, but um, he's off the scene anyway. But he, um, he, what he witnessed there, I mean, all kinds of things moving, but also like huge discharges in the basement and i'm not talking about just like sparks or lights i'm talking about things that looked like you know long gray ropes that were just flying through the through the basement he got also um surrounded by something uh, an energy in freezing cold and, and uh he wouldn't move for like a half hour and and finally you know i cut ties with him i said you can't do this work anymore you you're, you've got a paranoid personality for one and and it's gonna these things going to chase you. You know, you, you can't go into no one location without being attacked because he was just the wrong, wrong type of person for this type of work. So, right, yeah. uh, he ended up uh, forming his own little thing, getting his own website, and he he. This is a guy that um, had a you know a, a very expensive home, um, lovely wife, great job. He lost everything. Lost his wife. Lost his house. Lost his job. You know, um, everything. He's, he he's, he's living in a trailer home somewhere now, and because it just what him dabbling in this ruined his whole life because he just uh, the wrong character so but anyways this gentleman i said what we have to do is we have to get you on a, a more positive path we got to change your internal dialogue because right now it's focused on negative things so if we change your thinking we're going to change your frequency we're going to kind of break that connection so um i said volunteer at a soup kitchen go for walks do anything that makes you feel good about you know more positive and better about yourself so he actually did that. He volunteered at a soup kitchen um, at a, uh, a real old uh, stone church in Woonsocket, Rhode Island. But that, that church was also scheduled to be torn down. So he led a fight to save it from being torn down. And he was on the you know, newspaper. He was on the nightly news. So he had drive. He had purpose. He had something positive that he was doing that changed his internal dialogue. And um, not only did the entity just disappear after two years, um, his cancer went into remission, but with X-ray, there's no signs he ever had cancer. And that was in 1998. He's still alive today, and he, he's in the nursing home, but he's still alive, cancer-free. Well, it's, and that's a I was true say, story. It sounds like then that you're. I mean, obviously, you have some abilities, some knowledge, some skills in dealing with this. But it also sounds like, to a large degree, you're helping the person to do it themselves. You're kind of coaching them into being who they need to be to be able to fight these things. Absolutely, because this is what that's this is what a lot of the and, and I'm not attacking any attacking any religion, although there are religions that are supposed to be of a, a higher spiritual nature, but they use fear and I don't like that. I don't like religions that use fear in people because those are the the types of um worshipers that end up getting possessed because you know they they live with that fear of, of all this stuff, but it's a whole different conversation. Um but <clears throat> We absolutely are participants in the interaction, even if we don't realize it, even if it's our subconscious. We, we 
almost allow these things sometimes without knowing it. But you, we are participants. There is an exchange that happens, even if we're unaware of what we are contributing to the situation. But we have to change certain things about ourselves because we have to be in a certain uh, state in order to be connected to these things. Um, they might, you know, jump in every once in a while and just see if they can get a spike out of you. And if they're not getting what they need, they just, they disappear. But, um, you know, they, they really need, and I tell, you know, all my clients and everyone else, and I, I help a lot of uh, investigators too on their cases. That's mainly what's been keeping me. I've, I've been doing a lot with other investigators and other groups who, you know, are, are kind of stuck with their cases. And, and, um, but it's, you know, uh, fear, negativity and attention which usually turns into an obsession so fear negativity and attention to the subject um, those things need to be eliminated from a, a negative haunt when you can do that successfully and it's not always easy uh, because you can't tell somebody hey don't be afraid when that chair goes flying across your room if they're totally afraid of it but it, it takes them to really i really have to sell that idea to them and make them believe so they have that inner strength and that's what I find when religion does work is if the religion has an impact on the person, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not the effect that it has on the, the institute because I've been in so many times where people have tried the religion, uh, religious aspect and it didn't work. And the reason why it didn't work is because it didn't have the right effect on the individual that was being attacked to get them to a proper place, an emotional state where they could break that connection with this thing, where they're not where this entity wants them to be and they take off. So when it has worked, it's because the person had the faith in the process and they got them to where they needed to be. So that's when I start. long time ago, I was connecting these dots and saying, how come it works sometimes, how come it doesn't, um, and how come people can use different types of uh, tactics, you know, whether it's smudging or this or that. Um, there's all kinds of different techniques. How come they all of them work sometimes and sometimes they don't? And they're all just tools to manipulate us and to get us to where we need to be to break that connection. So, um, and that's what I find. And, and, you know, fortunately, you know, being someone that loves doing this work and, uh, I've been able to help everyone that's reached out to me, you know, and cause I, if I couldn't, I would, I wouldn't continue to do it. Well, but I think uh, that that's, the, that's part of the reason why you've had such a success rate is because you are empowering the individual. And I think a lot of, other folks that are trying to do the, the paranormal cleanup work are kind of looking at it as, you know, I have this skill myself or I have this ability or I have this knowledge. And by taking yourself out of it and kind of putting that power in the person, I can understand why you have such a success rate because they're – you, they have to be on board with the plan. They can't. They can't. It's like anything else. You can't be expecting somebody else to do the work for you. You're absolutely right. And you know, because I see a lot of, you know, like, like, exactly like you said. And some even go into it with almost an ego. And, and you know, these investigators thinking that you know they're they have some kind of control over this situation. And and really, it, it has nothing to do. Um, that has nothing to do with anything. It, this this person has, has an interaction going on with an entity, so it's between those two. So I started to realize how come you know, like I said, we can't just get rid of this entity if it doesn't want to go. But we need if we can manipulate the the person that it's attacking and get them to change, then that interaction between the two of them is manipulated. It's changed, and the connection is broken. So um, it, it it really is that way. And I t- like I tell I I went I did a case not too long ago. And um, the, this group reached out to me. Um, they're kind of, you know, well-known in the New England area. And they said, you know, can you help us with this? Uh, because there's, this, there's two two homes um, side by side. They're owned by the same family. But well, one's a home and one's in, like an apartment building. But 
one of the family members lives in one of the apartments on the other side. Anyway, but they got things going on in both places. Um, so in the apartment building, they they did a, a smudging or whatever, and they, they block up this room from the hallway into a baby's uh, nursery because the baby was screaming in the middle of the night and everything. Um, well, when, whenever they put it in there at, at certain points, it would start screaming. Um, so they, they smudge and they block up the door and they said that nobody can pass through this door because they'll let the entity back in and all this other stuff. And I said, I said, well, you know, well, I'll do respect. That's absolutely the wrong approach. I mean, and I didn't belittle them. I talked to them in private and I, I said, here's, here's why I was trying to teach them because by doing that, you're giving power back to this entity. You're letting him manipulate your life you know these things you can't let them dictate what you do in your life and once you do that you're empowering them and you're giving them exactly what they need they're more in control what what we need to understand is we actually have more control over them than they do us when we have the right information so um that we stopped that right right from get-go i educated um, both family members um and also what i found out with with the baby um now this is this was quite simple that you know, other people had missed. This poor baby, and, and this is something, not something that I like to talk about, uh, was was abused heavily when it was very very little, uh, like four months, and it was in a body cast. Um, and so it was living with this family that it was a family member, but they, it wasn't their baby, and they were taking care of it. Um, so, um, but anyway, so the, I said I went into the room, and I I'm sensitive. You know, I'm, I'm very scientific, but I'm sensitive to things. And what I was feeling was different than what they were describing their their um, in, you know interpretation of, of things. And uh, what I just sensed was an, an EMF, and not associated with an entity, but like of, of you know bad wiring, or you know you get off of electrical equipment. And I get like I get like a reverse pressure on the top of my head, and, and, and I can really tell that it, it's come, you know, that it's something of that nature. So, um, but over where the um, where the crib was, I, I put the, the, um, my, my EMF detector on the wall and it just spiked way up high. And, and so I asked them about the wiring. They said, Oh yeah, yeah. But the husband was an electrician and he was in the process of redoing all the wire, but he hadn't got to that wall yet. And I'm telling you, it was like, bang, it was pegging. It was huge for uninsulated wiring. It was higher than it should have been. Um, but when the baby was in, in that bed, it, that's when it was screaming. But when they brought it over to, um, the changing table over by the door that they close off, um, it wouldn't scream. I said, so it only screams when it's in this crib. And they said, yes. So it, it was reacting to the EMF. Um, so I told them to move it away. Um, they did that. Everything's fine. And I educated the family because one of the homes, um, the main home, actually, I did encounter something down the base. And it was running from me, but I could tell there was something there. Um, but I educated them. And there was a lot of people living in that home, so there's a lot of personality, and with that, we get a lot of conflict and stuff. So I ed- educated them on on all that and uh, the, the the importance of being positive and and um, you know relie- relieving the house of any negative stuff. And if you get mad, just go for walks. And I said, and don't obsess about it. And always think about, oh, what's it, what's the ghost going to do now? You know, because if it's in your mind, you just broadcasting that you want to play or whatever that's what this thing thinks is going to you're going to pay attention to me i'm going to mess around and so but i educated both families and um that was that one visit i went there and i just got a update it was like a couple years ago i just got an update from that group and they said that they're still problem free so they haven't had any issues since and that's all i did 
after all these other groups went in there and tried to use the other tactics, the, the holy water and the staging and the smudging and stuff, um, that didn't work. And I just educated them and got them in, in line with a more positive path and how to communicate better with one another and live together. And, uh, and that it was that simple. I mean, so. But when you're with situations like that, I mean, people create their own negative situations. And I'm sure that a lot of times you're getting called into cases where sometimes where there might be something that's happened paranormally, but also you're dealing with a lot of the human element of things, too. Does that kind of foster more bad things? What I mean is that it's not necessarily something paranormal that follows somebody or attach itself to somebody, but just the fact that they are creating this negative environment around themselves, and it just so happens that they've also had something paranormal going on as well. But it's the people that are that are causing this evil more than it is something something that could attach themselves to them. Uh, well, what, what I found is, you know, when people get, it, it, there's all kinds of different emotional states of being that that seem to um, trigger these these parasites. And um, you know, just because you had a bad day doesn't mean, oh, okay, well now my house is going to be haunted. It's not the way it works, um, but there's a there's a prolonged process, and, and there's a and also there's other uh, geological things that, uh, components that actually will make it more probable too. And I found that out. Um, but but with um, with us, it, it absolutely is is um, our emotional state that's actually attracting these things to us. So um, you know, there's there's different. There's different reasoning for that. So sometimes I have to be a drug counselor or, you know, a marriage counselor or whatever. And I have a background in all that stuff, you know, so um, and and so I'm able to, to get people work with people on that. But they, you know, they lived in the same house for 20 years, but yet it's only been the last month that they were being attacked. So there's, there's got to be a reason for that. So what changed a month ago? And every single time I ask that question, I get the answer. And there's always something that had changed dramatically. And that's what triggered this parasite. That's what this parasite said, okay, this person's in a vulnerable state. I'm going to mess with them. And, and that's, I mean, that's just how it works. And I just get them back to where they need to be, you know, in a more positive path, get them off of whatever, you know, that internal dialogue, whatever, whatever, wherever they are at the moment is obviously not a good place. So let's get, let's change it. Let's manipulate, you know, that and, um, those mechanics and it, and it works. And it, I do think that people can kind of create that palpable uh, sense of whatever. So it, it, it could be something negative. It could be something positive. I think if people kind of band together, you know, I talk a lot in my lectures that I give about about thought forms and tulpas and things like that, things oh, that yeah. we're, we're putting out with our own energy. And I'm sure that that probably plays a part in what you do too where, you know, sometimes maybe people are putting out the vibe that, even though they don't realize it, they're almost welcoming these things to come in and attach to them. They they think that they're you know, that they're safe, or they think that they're living a, a good life, but they're not realizing that just their day to day existence makes them attractive for something to come and feed off of. Oh, absolutely, exactly. I mean, you know, that's exactly how that works. And and I I did a case not too long ago where um, um, the, the the lady she actually seemed to enjoy being a victim, and it's like. You know, I can help you when you're ready for help, but you actually enjoy this, you yeah, know. When, when you want to be the center of attention one way or another, good or bad. Exactly. So I said, you're, you're looking for it, and you're, you're opening yourself up for it, and you seem excited by it. But then when something really, really bad happens, then, oh, you know. But at the same time, she still enjoyed it. She, she had that victim, 
victim-like mentality, and those are the hardest ones to treat when they, they, they just, like they like I said, a victim-like mentality, and they, they seem to enjoy it almost sometimes it's attention, and just sometimes it's just because they're used to being a victim. So if I can get them out of that mentality, you know, and, and it's hard because those people with that um, that are, used to being the victim usually have a troubled past, you know, and so you have to really dig deep um, a lot of times. And, and so it can be difficult. Like I did, a, I don't know if, uh, yeah, anyways, let, let me know if, uh, if, if uh, you need to take a break or whatever. But anyway, well, I actually, did, uh, I, I, I made the decision because uh, I was so interested in what you were saying. I totally blew through, blew through our network news. So, uh, but I do have to fire off the legal ID. So we'll do okay. that. We'll be back in 10 seconds. All right, now we're all legal. Uh, one thing that we will do in just a few moments, we're going to check in with uh, with Kevin Raper, and uh, and Shane, we'll keep you on as well for that too. Uh, we're just going to find out about the new project that they have with our Gary Patterson's work. Uh, our Gary Patterson was a, a good friend of the show who passed away a few months ago, so they have a new project. We're going to find out a little bit more about that. But I want to find out a little bit more with you, Shane, about does this have an effect doing this work? I can imagine you probably protect yourself as much as you can, but it still must weigh on you emotionally and, and psychically and, and maybe even physically. Um, not really. No, really? only, only, yeah. And, and that, the reason for that is I have to put myself in a certain state to keep myself safe. So I don't have to do any type of protection or nothing like that. It's, it's, I think the understanding that I have, and I'm really strong in my, in what I believe allows these things and attracts these things. So it's, it literally, um, I, I never get affected at all. I mean, I've been in cases where people have been, everyone's been touched or, or bumped or whatever. And I end up chasing these things around, you know, and they, they move away from me. And, um, and I, and I just think it's, it's almost like they, they, know I have a pretty good handle of, of what makes them tick and, and 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 I don't say that with any ego whatsoever I just um, but I I have not been affected ever ever, ever. And, I, and and I feel strong that my understanding disallows any any type of uh, attack on myself and, and and it works so see and that's the way that I've always kind of gone into things too where I've I've felt that nothing can follow me nothing's coming into my house you belong here, you stay here, and I, so I don't get wrapped up in protection prayers and, you know, all that kind of stuff, but there there have been little instances sometimes where things have reached out to me, uh, one time actually in my home, but also, you know, at other other locations that I've been to, entities that belong, at, like, for example, there's, there's something at the Lizzie Borden house that is very dark and doesn't like me, and it's actually communicated with me when I'm in other places just to kind of show me that it can. So mm-hmm. there, there's enough there for me to say, okay, I, I understand why people need to be protecting themselves from it. But I also just – I don't know if it's just my, my approach, my attitude, but I, I go into things feeling like it's okay because when I leave here, it's all staying behind me. Right, yeah. And that's that – we have to be that way. And it's the ones that that are afraid of something falling them home. You know, they're broadcasting that emotion. And, and that's that's another thing I was thinking about. It's like how come – out of this this whole group that went in there um, to this case before me, the, the you know I, I might have gone in to help this group because they got into trouble and they couldn't help the client. But there was one person that had a detachment that followed them home, and they le- legit had things happening in their house. And so, what made that person different than every other group member that didn't have something follow them home? And when I in- interview them and I dig get get down deep, 
that person was ab- absolutely afraid. Even if it, they didn't show it, they still were. So that um, that emotion is picked up. That, that that's why I really believe frequency has a lot to do with this because they're picking up on an emotional frequency, and um, and that's how it knows who to jump on. And it doesn't really. it doesn't have to be an overwhelming sense of fear either, right? It it doesn't have to be uh, where you know I've got to get out of here. I've got to, it could just be like in the moment, one little glimpse of okay, this doesn't feel right. Is is that just enough for them to grab onto? Yeah, they, that definitely gets their attention, you know, and um, you know the, the the also the attention that uh, we give them is huge too. Um, you know, all, all the cases that I do, these people just can't shut it off when they get home, and that's it's not it's not going to go away. I mean, you're when you know you're giving something attention, you're actually giving it energy, and then that's what these things thrive on. I mean, really, maybe maybe uh, that's why I've been okay is because I have such a terrible short term memory that by the time <laughs> I get home, I'm like I don't even remember where I was tonight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe that helps. Well, why don't we check in very quickly? Uh, we'll we'll connect here with Kevin, and I'm going to see if I can just keep you guys on together. Uh, we don't really do a lot of uh, multiple Skype stuff here, so let's see if we can bring him on. We might hear a little ringing happening. Looks like it's connecting now. We'll see if we can... I feel like I should have had a webcam. I mean, I do have a webcam, so you can see. But these both these guys are on camera, Matt. We totally – you said before the show, like, oh, we we didn't check to see if anybody was going to have a camera that we could have brought them on. And they both have webcams. Because we have the capability. Yeah. And they're, they're, they're both good-looking guys. I love guys. technology. They're way better looking yeah. than me, so we should have had them on. So, uh, hello, Kevin. Thanks for joining us, at least for a bit here tonight. How's it going? Well, we're doing well. Uh, we're spooktacular, as we like to say. And, and you're here with our guest, uh, Shane Searway, as well. And we wanted to touch base. Doing? We want to touch base with you because uh, you let us know about. Uh, of course, you are the son-in-law of, of the late R. Gary Patterson, a, a great friend of the show, and uh, you you found a way to help keep his memory and his work alive. Yeah, we've been working on the book. Um, he actually started it before he passed away, and my wife uh, she couldn't be on tonight, but it, it's his only daughter, and we actually. We're able to get in touch with Mike Dawson, who was producing the book, and we were able to let him basically finish it because she she kind of inherited the rights to everything. Uh-huh. Um, it went live on Audible uh, about a week and a half ago. It's uh, doing fairly uh, you know fairly well because I mean we haven't been able to promo it. This is the you you guys are actually the first ones to get any of the promos, oh, wow. get any access to it. I mean you all were the ones that he talked about a lot, so we we sent it to you guys first. Well, thank you. We are honored by that. And I, I have had a chance to listen to some of it, and it is great. I mean, it's it's the words that Gary wrote, but expressed in a way that take a creepy story that has base, you know, a true story, but it is creepy nonetheless, and then find a way to even amp that up by somebody taking that story and telling it to you orally. I mean, and that's the thing that I was the most worried about is that Gary was such a great storyteller that how could you keep with the same tradition that he built in sharing these stories? And I think that this this audio book version of it does a, a great way of doing that. Well, and, and Mike and Gary spent hours on Skype and on the phone. Mike, Mike said they would literally spend two and three, four-hour sessions where – he would read him a chapter and read how he wanted to do it, and then Gary would put a spin on it and, and tell him even more stuff that's not even in the book. So, I mean, the book is a little over nine and a half hours, and you can easily sit down and, and read the book in a, about a three- or four-hour sitting. It's just he extrapolates so much of every story. It's so far in-depth. 
And one one of my favorite parts about Gary's stories is the fact that he had such a reverence for the people that were sharing these stories and, and the people that were, were the subject of these stories, and it still even carries through now. And that's something that I think could have easily been lost if it wasn't somebody that was working directly with him. You had mm-hmm. to understand his passion for these topics, uh, to, to talk about these rock and roll legends and curses, to be able to really convey that to the audience. Oh, yeah. Well, and one of the funniest stories that Mike told me about the book was uh, when he was on Skype with Gary back when they first got started, they were talking about the Robert Johnson chapter. And Gary was literally showing him his jars of dirt from the crossroads with Robert Johnson's things. And Mike was like, that's the creepiest. He's like, I'm glad we were on video because if I was in the room, I would have left. Yeah, but that- he, he, was, he was telling him a story using the props from the book. And, and uh, of course, was there... There must have also been, though, some some trepidation after Gary's passing to say, you know, what should we do here? How is the best way to keep this going? I'm sure there was a lot of discussion about whether or not you wanted to see this project continue, or was it just automatically like we have to make sure that we finish this? Oh, it was. Yeah, it was a no-brainer. Oh. We were we were trying to find out. Mike reached out to us, and it was we knew he was working on it, but we had no idea who Mike was. And we were able to basically. <laughs> this is what's kind of funny is uh, Chris Jericho is actually the person that put us all in touch. Okay. Because Gary interviewed Chris, and then Mike's, Mike had the first five chapters done. and was like, I really, really want to finish this, but he had to put it on hold. And within the past month, he hammered out the last half of the book because it was all on a legal hold until we could we could you know say that my wife had inherited the rights because he had no idea what to do. But we he immediately just started hammering it out. Like he worked tirelessly. I mean, I, we think it sounds great. And the, the very end of it has got a, a, a dedication section to uh, talk about Gary's life, and then turns around and he dedicates it to his only granddaughter, Sydney. And uh, well, I mean, and nobody appreciates rock and roll and the paranormal as much as Chris Jericho too. So it's uh, really cool that he got involved in in that as well. Is he going to contribute at all to the audiobook project in, um, in terms I'm- of like any kind of a audio forward or anything? Well, we've already got it published. Like, it's already online on Audible, but um, I've sent everything to Fozzie, and then he's supposed to be writing something back for us. Excellent. Yeah, well, so you mentioned it is on Audible, so if people want to get it, they can just go there and, and find it and, and download it. And I've, I've never really done uh, audiobooks through Audible, but everybody tells me that it's so easy to do, and it's, it just puts it right on your phone, and wherever you are, you can just connect and listen. Well, and if you um, – there's a thing going with Audible. We, we have two or three different ways you can find us. We're on Twitter. Um, it's just at DarkSideBook, and that's where you can find – if you tweet a lot, you can hop on there, chase it down, and just basically link straight through the Twitter account to the Audible. And then if you're if you join Audible, you can – you get so many books for free just for joining. I'm not sure how many, but you can download it as a free book also. So, I mean, effectively, if you just want to check it out, you can join Audible, download it, cancel Audible, and you still get to keep the book. Excellent. Well, uh, we definitely want people to check it out, and and of course, with uh, with all the great stories that Gary shared with us over the years, it's great that they can live on. And that that was that was what Chris Balzano and I were most worried about when Gary passed. Is you know we we need to find a way to keep his work going and to keep what he did going because it touches a lot of people, but it also meant so much to him. And oh, absolutely. So, so I can only imagine that every time somebody downs, downloads this and starts listening to it, you know, somewhere Gary's kind of watching over them and smiling. And laughing hysterically. <laughs> he's, a, he's like, well, I guess we finally figured out that technology. Yeah, uh, he, was, he, he was a character when it comes to things like that. 
Well, thank you so much for joining us and for keeping us up to date with everything. And, uh, and of course, somewhere down the line, we want to have uh, yourself and your wife come on with us and, and we can talk more about Gary's legacy and, and how you plan to keep it alive. Sure. Not a problem. Just let us know. All right. Thank you, sir. Have a great night. You too. That is uh, Kevin Raper. And, again, you can check out dark, well, it was darksidebook.com and also through Audible. If you want to be able to check that out, you can download it, listen to it. As you said, you know, you can download it. Cancel the Audible if you want and keep the book, but uh, of course, there's so many great audiobooks out there. I just I've never been an audiobook guy myself. Uh, I don't know, Shane, if you have ever, you know, I'm sure driving around doing all the cases that you do, it's beneficial to have something like that. Yeah, no, I, I don't do them either. I, <laughs> I don't know, but I, I think they're great. I think I'm on one of them on on an audiobook, but <laughs> no, I, I don't. I've, I've never listened to one. I don't know why I don't do it, though, because I listen to podcasts. I listen to old-time radio shows. Like, all these things, it's it's pretty much the same idea of, of listening to an audiobook. I just have never really gotten into it. But I'll definitely be doing it with uh, with Gary's book because I've heard just some of it already, and it's, and it's great stuff. Awesome. So uh, we were talking uh, before about your own personal way of taking on these cases and, and, and how uh, – you know, you're saying that they don't really kind of affect you at all, but also it must affect you in some degree to have to deal with the people. To there's got to be some times when you have to say, "All right, I don't know how much more I can take of dealing with people that just don't listen, that don't uh, follow my advice." I'm sure you've probably had some repeat customers, even though you were able to get rid of these things. You probably had people that have kind of come back to you and said, "It happened again." Um. No, really? No, yeah. All all the cases I've done, um, once you know, I've maybe up to tops of like three visits, three or four visits. Um, I, I'm able to kind of get through to them, get them on board with what I'm, what what the plan is, and it's worked every time. Only once recently, I had a guy who um, who who was so set in 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 thinking that we had to go there and do this big like he i'm part native american and um mostly french but native american too he was part native american and he he wanted this whole big like native american like smudging thing going on he had already gone through like a pound of sage or something himself and and it it just he continued to get worse Hmm. um he was he was convinced that things were you know going on there i went there I, i never felt anything um this guy also too was a a cancer patient um who, who was struggling with that? But at first, seemed nice enough guy. But I was told by other groups that try to help him, who put me in line, in touch with him, uh, that he he becomes belligerent and he he you know all this other stuff. He called he called this um, woman investigator who was also I guess a medium or whatever. He he insulted her really really bad. Um, he kicked other people out of their out of his house and and stuff like that. So when I went there, you know, I didn't sense anything in that home whatsoever um i did sense that he was troubled and um but he really believed this i know he really believed that something was going on in this house i never felt anything i'm i'm pretty strong where i don't think there was but i was going to give him the benefit of doubt and go through the process anyway but he he just he wouldn't listen he goes oh yeah but i am a positive person i'm like you know I'm as positive as I can be, and he wasn't. He was a he was an angry person. I, I, he pick up a phone when someone called. And he was just irate and angry to everybody. And um, hearing the stories of how he treated other investigators, and and um, also him, um, you know, 
calling, leaving voicemails in the middle of the night, telling me that all this other stuff is going on and I need to get back down there and all this other. I mean, he just, uh, he was an angry person. He didn't want to admit that he was, and he was part of the problem. Um, and so we weren't going to be able to work together, basically. I mean, um, I, I definitely could have fixed this problem. I really don't believe there was a problem other than, um, him himself. And, and, um, and then he told, oh, here's another thing. He goes, because I said, you got to take your mind off, off the, the situation, too. You can't be thinking about what's going to happen next. You can't be watching the shows. you got to, you know, go on a different path and, and stop thinking about this. Stuff. Oh, no, I don't, I don't think about this stuff at all. You know, and I, I, don't, I don't watch the shows or anything else like that. My next visit, he went on and on and on about all these paranormal shows that he had binge-watched, you know. So it's like, like, you know, like, like another uh, guy I had, he goes, oh, yeah, I don't, I don't watch the shows. I don't do nothing. I go into his room, and there's a... There's like a two inch thick book about demons, you know, uh, on his uh, night dresser, you know. So, um, like I said, we are participants in this, and he, he just wasn't, uh, w- this guy was just really strong headed, and he, he just wasn't gonna, gonna listen to me. He, he thought he was fine, everything. He wasn't doing anything wrong, but he was his own worst enemy. So, um, you know, he's somebody I could have helped, but he, I just cut him off, and, and I just said, you know, uh, you, I'm wasting my time with you you know you don't i don't think you want help i think you th- that was uh the other thing was um you know him uh, on disability um and he was young enough to work he was older than me but but uh didn't work because of his, his cancer and everything else like that um but he just uh i think he was just a really bored angry person and he just needed people around and you know, um, we hit it off at first, and he, he just wanted me there all the time to hang out with them, and you know, and stuff. And it was just, you well, know, we always talk about that how that can happen with the people who are seeking paranormal help. You know, the ones who are reaching out to teams and saying, "I think I have something in my house," and and we always worry about the ones that are attention getters, and and that's yeah. what their whole purpose is, but. I think that also happens with some of these paranormal research groups and investigators too, where they're coming in and they're just trying to, you know, make themselves look good or make themselves feel good, and, and maybe it's a, maybe maybe they're faking it, but maybe they're not. Maybe they're just wrong about their abilities or what have you. But it seems like there's a, a good chance that investigators can come in and almost attach something onto somebody by doing things the wrong way or by doing things for the wrong reasons, that they can kind of come in and conjure up this this negativity and then leave it behind when they when they go home. Oh, yeah. I mean, I can't tell you <laughs> how many times, it's been quite a few times where I've gone in um, after, and I'm, I'm talking some very well-known, famous, if you will, um, investigators um, and, and demonologists and stuff like that who won in there and um, did just that. And a lot of times, they, because they want the evidence, they want this, they want that, the other thing they want, that they... Um, they spend so much time on evidence, evidence. Evidence is great, but here's what I don't like to do when I'm in there to help somebody who's actually being attacked. Evidence is a last thing on my mind because if I'm give, trying to seek evidence, I'm also giving attention to this this entity and I'm giving it more power. So I don't even focus it. When, it, when somebody's really being attacked hard, if we're just talking about an active home and they just want they just want evidence and that's why I'm there, then, yeah, let's do that. Right. Um, but I'll do it in a safe way. Or if I go into a place where no one lives, which I, I rarely do, I'm, I'm usually, you know, working with people. But, um, you know, 
I don't I don't do that. And and what a lot of these groups do is because they, they want something to make themselves famous or popular, you know, or whatever. So they go in there and they they focus on nothing but the attention. Sometimes they even, you know, because they don't have a, a, a proper understanding or or they they lack a. a you know, the proper understanding of what's actually going down. They're, they're missing other mechanics. They're missing other things that it could be because they don't have a full, you know, spectrum of information or whatever. Um, so if they can't explain it, then it's got to be a demon. So they tell the people, oh, you got a demon, you know, you got m- many demons. And you know what that does to the person living at home? It, it's like, whoa, you know, you just, you just multiplied right. their fear level. It just, it made things worse. And, and so I've gone in after so many, groups that have done that and and um and and i just i don't understand when you tell people that you can help them and you don't have a full you know understanding of everything that to explain it away it could be other things and i I could tell you a story um that happened in bridgeport connecticut um and but you know you're going in there if you're telling them you can help them you you have to be able to understand and um diagnose so many other things because and if you if you if if you go in there and you don't know what's going on you can't just go right to the demon theory um you have to say i just don't know and 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 reach out to somebody else you know because uh you just can't throw a you know a statement out like that to these homeowners that are already probably traumatized you know you're just making it worse so um, but they do. They, th- they throw that word out so easily, especially if, you know, especially if there's a camera there and they're filming it to put up on their YouTube page. You know, that word gets thrown away, thrown around so easily. And people don't take into the uh, account the possibility that sometimes, like, there's just bad things that go on. There's bad, there's bad elemental energies. There's bad people who have passed on and are staying behind. And not everything that seems scary or negative is, is demonic. No, no. I mean, there was um, a book, um, Haunted House Diaries by William Hall, um, who I was a part, a big part of that book and the investigation that, that happens in that book. And I also wrote some things that, that are in that book. But um, it, uh, this lady in Bridgeport, Connecticut, read um, this book and said, hey, you know, well, I need – so she contacted William Hall and says, you know, I got this house and I haven't – nobody's lived there for two years. But it's evil. It's absolutely evil. And she had other groups, um, one well-known group from, um, you know, that area and stuff like that, who are they're disbanded now. And it, they, the reason is for this case, but because of this case. Um, now they, um, she reached out to these these guys, and they went in there, and I think there was like two married couples or something like that, and then there was other individuals. Um, they they set up shop for like two weeks, and they investigated this home from what I'm being told. Um, and they, they said that there was, you know, it was really evil. There was demons there. Um, their evidence that they posted on YouTube, I, I, I viewed it. it. None of it was real. Um, it was, it was a lot of just dust floating around in the basement. Um, I even showed Bill Hall when I got there with the camera. I said, this is what they captured when he first saw it on, on the view, uh, the, the view screen on the back of my camera. He's like, Oh, oh look at that. And I'm like, no, no, now look outside, look outside in, 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 you saw the dust floating in front of the lens, and that's what they got. And I know there are, you know, real orbs and stuff like that, but these were definitely not what they were capturing. Um, also, a bang when they were in the basement. They had a video going on. There was a bang upstairs. Um, I recreated that. It was the screen door. Somebody had 
come in or, or opened the door or whatever um, and slammed it, and that it was identical. So their evidence was nothing, um, but they were absolutely convinced that they got to a state where they were all so just afraid, and they, they also started fighting with each other, and they blamed it on the demon putting them against each other and stuff like that. Um, they, they, the two married couples actually end up divorcing from what I'm told. The group disbanded. Their website got brought down. Um, and this is a group that had been around for a while and they blamed this case for destroying everything. So, um, finally she reaches out to William Hall. Bill Hall asked me, you know, you know, you, you got to do this with me. So I said, sure. We went down there. Um, and I did, one visit, we spent a lot of time there, and then I went down again and did it again just to, you know, just to confirm what I was what I was uh, diagnosing. So what I found was the home. Oh, the, there was no electricity to the home. It was shut off at the at the um, the meter box outside, so no electricity inside the home. But yet, there was huge amounts of EMF in the kitchen um, and in the basement below the kitchen, which is. Um, what they were calling like the the dark evil uh the dark corner of hell in the basement um now the 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 lady's husband that lived there he he owned the house before he married her he had a previous uh wife who they ended up getting divorced because this guy i guess was abusive and stuff like that he remarried this lady he would get violent like just full of rage and hostile and stuff like that his son did the same thing. He ended up destroying the whole down, finished basement downstairs with a sledgehammer. He would get angry for no reason. They would leave the home, and they would both be just charming and wonderful people. They get back to the house, and within a half hour, they were just full of rage, and they blamed it on demons. Um, now, so <clears throat> when I walked in there, and, and I could I could really sense that there was EMF in this home, so I, with my meter, I I. I Huge, huge in the kitchen, huge spike, sometimes almost maxing out my meter. Um, but most of the time, even the prolonged level is not healthy for us at all. Um, anything over, you know, 25 on my meter is not good, but this was, they were, it was usually like around 75 and things like that. So down in the basement, same thing. Um, I ended up seeing an access panel because I knew what I was going to be looking for. If the power shut up to the house, I don't believe there's an entity in this home because I did not encounter one on both visits. Then I'm going to go to um, where the the grounding rod cable comes into the home and attaches to the plumbing. So, you know, you, you may know this, but maybe some of the listeners don't. Um, our homes have a grounding rod that goes into the ground and attaches to the plumbing and the utility. So if it gets hit by lightning, it, it, gets, it goes out through that grounding rod into the ground. Um, now... <clears throat> They sometimes can have uh, EMF feeding back into them, even when the power is turned off through, like, maybe a faulty transformer that's nearby. But in this this case, there was also a business in the back. It could have been coming from that. But something was faulty either with the transformer or some other uh, home or business where it was back feeding through the grounding rod into their house, into their plumbing, and right in that dark corner of hell and right above that was the kitchen. Um, and those were the hot spots. That's where everyone got angry that's where everyone you know had issues um in those areas so uh, i explained that to, to, to the lady you know and um she said, yeah yeah but the other group said there was a demon i'm like i said i said you know what and i'm not saying that at one point you didn't because of the the negativity that was happening inside the home you just very well may have had an entity at 
you know, when you were living here because of the emotional state of, of your husband and everything else like that. And then you, you being under stress from the way he was treating you. But I said, there's nothing there now. And, um, and, and I don't think there was anything here when the other group was here either. I think they reacted to these strong levels of EMF because these strong levels of EMF will cause you to see shadow movements in your peripheral. Through prolonged exposure to EMF, you'll start seeing hues like sh- sh- shadowy figures in front of you that you absolutely think that are some kind of entity. Um, it, it messes up the firing between your eyes and your brain. Um, and now also it, it also, um, kills our immune system it can cause our cells to mutate and cause cancer or tumors now her husband had rare form of cancer he developed in this home you know while he was living there and he died he died from it and i believe the home killed him and so i told i told the lady i said and not to be you know, you know i really think that this house had everything to do with your husband becoming sick and and I, and she goes, well, actually, she goes, I developed the same tumors, but mine weren't cancerous. She goes, and it's, it, it's such a rare form of cancer. She goes, but I, I had those same tumors, but mine weren't cancerous. His was, and, and he succumbed to them. Um, and, and I said, so, you know, how many meds were you on when you lived here? She goes, I was on 12. I said, how many are you on now that you, you're not living here anymore? She goes, I'm not on any. She goes, I once in a while I'll take a Motrin or an Advil. And she goes, and I never felt, I haven't felt this good in a while. I said, that's my point. This is a sick home. It, it's, it, there's no demon here. It, it's, it's, it, you need an electrical engineer and you need someone to come in here and fix it. I actually know how to fix that problem. Um, but you know, I'm not going to go about doing that, you know, cause insurance that reasons money. and all that stuff too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but, but you know, so for like, just like you said, and that's what I was getting at was, when we go into the home and we tell people we can help them, if we can't, if we don't have an explanation of what's going on, we can't just jump to demon. Um, so I like to have an understanding. I mean, I own my own remodeling company. I'm a licensed pipe fitter as well. I know about plumbing. I know about electrical. I, and, and I, I also have a background in human services and psychology. So, um, and I only reason why I have all this background and I, I did this on purpose. So I would, I would be well rounded and I'd be able to help people with any different, you know, explanation of what's going on in their home, you know, because the paranormal is number one to me. So if I'm going to go into people's homes, I want to make sure I had the experience in all different aspects, you know. Well, and also the paranormal doesn't pay. So to have uh, <laughs> knowledge of things that do, it's like it, it kind of, you know, kind of works out pretty well. Though, but yeah. Is there is there ever been a case that, um, you know, you talked about your, your success rate with this, but has there ever been a case that really took kind of – even more work than usual. Was there anything that was ever just the one that you thought, hey, if ever I was going to have one that I didn't succeed on, this would be the one? Um, you know, I mean, it, if, if I'm trying to think, there's never been one that, um, well, there's never one, never been one that wasn't, you know, pretty, pretty simple um there was one recently that was a little bit more challenging and so um but it, it's still something that I, I i fixed with two visits um but based on um all the components that w- was taking place i that's exactly how i felt i'm like well maybe this is going to be a little harder than usual and and i'll tell you what happened was um where i live in southern new hampshire um there were some of my business cards are around or you know and some people kind of know me plus my my vehicle is lettered with my you know my paranormal research my true and all that so 
everyone, you know, they, they know who I am and everything and what I do and small town and whatnot. So, um, somebody saw, grab one of my business cards out of a, a pizza shop that, that had just moved into the area. And the reason for that was that they owned another home in northern Massachusetts that they had to flee because it was, they had things going on there. A lot of objects moving, uh, door slamming, uh, you know, their ceiling fans spinning by itself constantly. Um, they were seeing things outside, climbing trees in the woods. Um, and also affecting, they said, you know, affecting their marriage. But when it ripped their son out of bed, he was like, I think they said he was like four years old. They hear thump, thump, you know, and then he starts crying. They run in there. He's on the floor. And he said, the man with the red face pulled me out of bed. He said, the, the kid said he saw a red face rise up from the foot of his bed and, and pull him down. And, um, and th- he, they looked down. He actually had red handprints on his ankles and bruising the next day um and so they moved out of the home um oh but not before having um they brought in a a group that had a television show or i don't know if they still do uh, but a long-running television show who had like associate uh an associate group of theirs they sent over um that was very ineffective um then they had uh another um person that that's famous or whatever because they didn't know where else to reach so they they were looking at tv and right well yeah. you know, they they knew that, you know nowhere else to turn so they they found this other group which everyone would know who who it was but that that group came down uh the individual who had a group and um and that didn't really work and then they reached out to um a demonologist that um a lot of people might know who he is um and um so they went there and they said it actually was effective. It, it, it did a good job. Um, I think it was like three or four weeks or something like that where it was pretty quiet. And, and I said, but it came back and it came back with a vengeance, right? They said, absolutely. They said it, it was worse than ever when it came back. And it was just all of a sudden just boom, you know, full force out of nowhere. It did, there was no buildup. It just came back like full force. And, and the reason for it was that process didn't have a long um you know lasting effect on them as individuals it didn't it didn't fix the the problems that initiated that that interaction to begin with um it did enough to make them feel they felt confident in the in the person um doing what they did because the person does a good job of selling that process but they they didn't treat the initial problems with the people um so therefore the problem returned and um so Basically, um, so they left the house after the kid. That was enough. So we're, we're out of here. So now they have two mortgages, um, which was causing even more issues with them. But oh, they yeah. said now, now they got things happening in their, their new home too once in a while, but they were blaming everything. So a box fell off the shelf and hit, hit the guy on the shoulder. Well, it must have been them again, you know, you know, but uh, it, that's what happens to people. They, they blame everything on it when it's going on. Um, it, it, they can't get out of their head. Like I said, internal dialogue has a lot to do with that, that, that attention. So, um, so normally when I, when I fix a home, I fix the people. I treat the people, but the people aren't living in this home. So now I have to do both because it's, if, if it is affecting both houses, um, and here's another thing too. These parasites will cling. If they do stay in a home that nobody has lived in, that people aren't living in and there still is a parasite there because normally the parasite will leave and they'll follow the person that they were haunting or they'll find food somewhere else basically um but if the home if the parasite is still in a vacant home 
it's feeding off of a traumatic or dramatic event that may have happened on that property. Um, and, and so we find that all the time, but so it's, it's very rare for the parasites to stick around in a home that's vacant. So I had to look at a lot of things that was going on. I could sense that there was, there was a big, uh, marital issue with, the, with this couple. I could, I could just see the body language between the two of them, even though they were trying to hide it from me. They didn't, I try to like loosely like simulate them to open up about those things, but they, they were uncomfortable. So we didn't, I didn't push the issue. So, um, it was going to be hard to treat them because I knew that was a big part of it. Um, so I had to t- talk in general, you know, generalization. And, um, so, but now how am I going to, how am I going to treat the other home that they're not living in? So, um, basically what, what started this haunt was the guy had moved in, the lady who owned the house previously, this guy who I, I noticed had a real quirky, he was a nice guy, real, but quirky, paranoid, like personality. And like I said, those are the worst, especially if they get, they become, obsessed or interested in the paranormal and they can't shut it off up here because that's how their brain works and they're always like oh you know and that's how he was he was the one that had the book of demons on his on his nightstand when he you know he told me he doesn't watch the shows he doesn't he doesn't have an interest i walk into his room and there's a dean a book naming all the demons it's like two inches thick and and so um so i knew there was something more going on so i questioned him on that and he goes well yeah you know well i'm kind of interested because when i did move in with her he goes, I started seeing uh, Native American-looking things in, in other creatures, like, crawling in the trees. He goes, but I could see Native Americans, like, running through the the, uh, the bushes and stuff and on the edge of the properties. And um, and so he became obsessed. He started doing his own investigation outside. He'd stay up all night, you know, outside with cameras, and and uh, he would see things, and then he couldn't shut it off from his head. And, and so when he was feeding it so much attention – then a parasite showed up because there was already marital issues going on. His attention to the subject um, was unhealthy because he had a paranoid personality. So it wasn't the Native Americans that were causing him negative um, um, stuff going on in his home. It was a new parasite that was invited in by what he was doing that he shouldn't have been doing and yeah. what he was what he was giving to the situation. So. Um, so when I my first visit there was just to kind of feel it out and, and come up with a game plan, and the second visit was I was there three times, but I only actually did anything three uh, two times. The second visit was a kid that contacted me that wanted me to mentor him, and I I spent a lot of time talking to him first, um, making making sure that he was of right character and, and he wasn't gonna be getting the trouble, and he, he seemed like a great kid, and so we went there and. Um, you know, we walked in there and he, he started to say, well, I, I can definitely feel something in here, you know. And I said, do you think that's bad? Wait till you go in the master bath because that, when I was here before, that thing was hiding from me in the master bath. And so we walked in the room and I told him, I said, just, be, you know, I, I want you safe. So I said, just stand over over there, you know. And so he stood over on the other side, the far end of the, the bath, and, and the door was open just a little bit. And so I went over to the door. I was going to finish. I was going to open it up the rest of the way. And I was reaching out to it, and the door just flies open, bang, slams up against the the, pl- uh, the pan- wood paneling. The shears just fly up to the ceiling, and then you feel like just just this rush whew, run right by us. And then the, the door to the um, the ba- uh, bedroom slammed shut behind, you know, lock, you know, with us in the room. So it was shutting it, shutting us in basically. Um, it didn't didn't want a part of us, and. Um, so you know, there, there definitely was things going on here. I, I felt this thing too. It was it was 
really, really strong. So, um, but now how are we going to get rid of it? So what I did was, and normally, like I said, I manipulate uh, the mechanics um, in, in emotional uh, frequencies with the people and, and stuff like that while they're not living here. I did that anyways with them in their home, but I also had to do something here. So what I did was I employed the um, the Native American uh, that, that were, were there in their own place and time. They're, they're living their life, you know, and there was a strong body of water, which uh, we find really what we call par- paranormal flap areas where um, a lot of people call residual hauntings. I call paranormal, uh, parallel world bleed overs or whatever. And, um, and so I, I basically, I did a, being part Native American and everything, I did a, a ceremony to, um, get the natives to, to accept the home on, oh, because here's a, a, a fact I should have mentioned. Um, this, it was a trailer home, uh, trailer park. This was a double wide trailer, actually a really nice one too. Um, but on this property was, um, it was a historical plaque for it and all, all that. There was a blood, a bloody battle between two tribes, um, who wanted the land because it was good fishing and whatnot. And so there, there was a, a, a drama, a dramatic occurrence that happened on this property. So I did, um, I did a ceremony to get, gain acceptance of the home and the family. Um, and it, it took me like an hour and a half, two hours. It was not something that was just short. Um, and it was all done in, in traditional way. And, um, when I was done and it was just like, you know, the, the TV shows, it was like a dimmer switch was just slowly turned up and the house just got brighter and brighter and brighter. And I, I, um, I, I called the guy who was waiting at a diner. He, I think he stopped at a diner. I told him I didn't want him. This is the guy that owned the house. Um, and I said, you know, I just don't come here until I'm done. I'll let you know. And, and so I called him and he walked in. He's like, Oh my God. He goes, this house has never felt like this. He goes, it, it feels so good in here. He goes, it smells good. And, <laughs> and, uh, now they had tried to, to rent or sell it, um, the whole, the whole time. And, um, and, and so every time somebody was interested in it, something happened, it would fall through. They even had a blind lady that was led through the home. She was legally blind. And, um, she said she didn't want to live there because it was too dark. And so, but after I did everything within five days, they had all kinds of offers on the house. And then a guy that wanted to rent it, they decided to rent it. And he's, he lives there problem free with no issues at all. Um, there's a couple of neighbors though that are having issues now, but you know, um, and I'm just being told that by them. So nobody, they don't, they didn't know I was there. So they didn't know to reach out to me because, um, this the couple didn't want anyone to know that we were doing this. So I, I, I went there at like three o'clock in the morning, you know, and did everything early, early. So while people were sleeping, um, so that, that was, um, that worked. Unfortunately, um, the couple divorced and, and, uh, they, they parted ways. And, and, um, so, um, but that was, that was long after probably like a year and a half, two years after I was done doing, you know, fixing the other house and but I, I still think that um they were problem free at, at their home it's just their marital issues or whatever just you know got the best of them i guess so um but, but i mean that can happen anyway i mean sometimes things just happen in life it doesn't mean that this stuff has any kind of impact and or even just dealing with the aftermath of it or dealing with the the side effects of it can can have that effect on relationships uh there is a question from the 
uh, Professor Eric in the chat room, uh, and you had mentioned having a, a background in, in psychology, but he wants to know, are you a, a psychologist or a counselor uh, as, as part of what it is that you do? Um, no, no, I don't have a degree or nothing like that. Um, I have, uh, I've had positions where I had to, in, in, you know, employ those um, certain techniques and in, in, that involved with um, with psychology and, and stuff like that. And um, I'm a student and I'm um, of it, uh, but I don't have a degree. Um, but I have, a, I believe, I have a pretty good understanding. Um, and in, in in any case where I don't have a good understanding. Um, I'm never afraid to reach out to somebody that may have, and because my, the number one thing is, is um, you know, the, the safety and in, in the you know, of my client. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So um, we we did that once. We we reached out to um, a well-known psychologist that's in our network uh, with a gentleman who got in trouble. The one I mentioned in Woonsocket that I, I brought down, and he who, who told me he was more experienced and. Um, and Paul Eno and I, we, we reach out to somebody that's in our network who's, who's a well-known psychologist and, um, to, to help him out because he, you know, us being close to him, uh, we needed somebody else involved that where he, he could take the word of, you know, um, yeah, it was, so it's not just these two guys that he's known for a little while. It's now it's somebody else that with a degree and you know what I mean? So, um, t- but she told him the same thing we were telling him and, um, but, so no, but no, I don't have a, a degree in psychology, but I'm a, I, I have a strength in it, though I believe. And, and um, but you know, like I said, if we, if someone needed just a, so, solely just a psychologist, and we hook them up with psychologists, I mean, but I just have to use techniques to get people um, to to be able to. Actually, I dealt with a psychologist. If you want to hear another story, uh, that was kind of a tough one. Um, well, just to, just before I forget to let you know, uh, Professor Eric said he is going to reach out to you on the number oh, that's excellent. that's on your site. So, okay, yeah, great. No, absolutely, absolutely, I'd love to hear the story. Yeah, so there was a, a case in um, in Massachusetts that um, let's see, actually, Paulino, I forget, I forget how he got hooked up with this case, um, but this lady, she herself was a psychologist um, specializing in. Um, People who who were sexual predators and um, and stuff like that, she treated those people. Um, and she had she was like a, she had all kinds of degrees, and I think she was going for her. Uh, uh, I don't know, I, I forget, but anyways, no, she, but she she had all kinds of degrees in this in in this. But so she believed that she had a demon in her house, and and something was attacking her, and um, so she had. A, there was one group that went there. Oh, okay. There was a group down her way that went there. Um, they were trying to help her, but they realized they were over their heads. So uh, they were a fan of uh, Paul Eno's radio show. They, they contacted him. He went there. He started to suggest to her what he, he believed was going on. She became, like, irate. Like, how dare you talk to me? I'm a psychologist. You know, how dare you talk to me like that? I'm not stupid and all this other stuff. And he goes, no, I'm not trying to imply that. He goes, but I'm just sharing my experience and what I, what I, some of the flags I see here, you know? So, um, she, she basically kicked him out of the house. And, and, uh, so he, he called me and he's like, he's like, you know, I, I really think you can help her. Um, but you know, even though she was mean to me, I, I, I really think she needs help. And, and so, um, uh, you know, I forget, Oh, it was the, the group that originally she was helping. They, they got in touch with me. And then I ended up going down there and I, I was interviewing her and, and I knew after Paul's experience, I had to be kind of 
sneaky with my questions. You know what I mean? So um, basically what happened, I got her to spill a lot of stuff. She was a, she had a job in a, in a prison and she was uh, as a psychologist. Um, I forget the exact uh, name of, what she was doing but but it was for sexual predators and she was a psychologist and she was working in this prison well she ended up falling in love with one of these jerks you know and um when he got out of prison she moved him into her home now she found uh, after him living there for a little while she found a satanic um uh whole setup in satanic bible and 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 everything in the basement where he he was doing the, the satanic uh, stuff rituals and everything so um that just oh my god she's like and she um she she brought it up to him or whatever and he he tried to make it like it was no big deal then he started to rape her all the time and 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 abuse her um and she found more satanic stuff so she ended up getting him removed she he was and you know so that she kicked him out um but she believed that he put a curse on her so now she, every time a hawk showed up in our yard she said it was it was because of him and it's a curse and she she said they were seeing like a shadow guy walk down the stairs and and everything else like that but but may, but she only saw that a couple times she refused to stop to go into her own bedroom anymore because that's where he used to rape her um i went into that bedroom she had writing all over the wall saying that um i am a good mommy um my, the name of her son, I don't remember. Well, let's just say John. John acts naughty because that's who he is. It, it's not my fault. I'm t- on every single wall. There was writings like that. Just her telling herself that she's okay and it's everyone else that's wrong. On her mirror was, um, uh, what did it say? Hold on or get dragged or something like that in lipstick all over her mirror. Um, there was just all kinds of crazy, crazy things. Re- reference to things attacking her, but mostly it was all about her son and or her telling herself she's a good mom. And I'm like, this is not the behavior of a psychologist. I mean, this is somebody that needs a psychologist, you know. So um, now, one of her biggest complaints was she was getting real bad migraines too, and she believed it was because of the demon and all this other stuff. So uh, again, she had. She had looping going in through her grounding rod, and, and right where she slept now in her living room was exactly where the um, the ground cable came in and attached to her plumbing, and that's where I was getting huge levels down there. And then, and when I told her this, she goes, "No, no, no!" And I I put the EMF detector right where she laid her head, and it was it was like 175, you know, it was way up there. Um, so I, I said, you know, and also this is causing your paranoia. Uh, it, it, I, I think she already had psychological issues, but I, I know it, this wasn't helping it because of what EMF will do to us. It can cause us, not all of us, it, it has different effects on us, you know, on different people, but this was certainly making her problem a lot worse. Um, so this is going to be a hard case. And um, what what I did for her was I, I she, she was a little reluctant with what I was saying at first, but she ended up opening up. Um, because I, I, I was able to um, speak to her in, in a way and take a, the right kind of path that I thought I was going to need to take with her, and and it worked. She actually listened and she put down her defense, and um, she says, "Okay, well, I'll try." But you know what I found out was she was going to jail anyway, so we lost contact. I, she went to jail because of uh, child neglect and um, and also her home was 
being taken away from her too because she lost her job. She got followed, her license got revoked um, uh, from practicing because of they found out that she moved this this um, inmate into her home and everything else like that. Then uh, her her young children got um, caught using drugs and you know like nasty drugs and there was something else too that she did. But she um, she ended up going to jail. Um, so uh, however where however she turned out, I don't know. But she she did open up towards the end and and i was hopeful you know somewhat but um but i knew she was definitely going to be a a tough one i forgot about her (laughs) so yeah i mean i I guess you i mean i know that you feel like you can take care of these problems but also like people have to want to have they have to want to be taken care of too if, yeah. if they're going to keep inviting it back in, you know, it's just it's just going to start a, a vicious cycle where, you know, you're constantly having to go back and helping because they just they're keeping themselves open and they're keeping themselves as basically food for these things. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, like I said, some of those people have victim like mentality, and mm-hmm. some of them like like the attention. And so, you know, those are the people that are always going to. Fall, fall victim to themselves and their own behavior so it's like you know what can you do for them um you, you you really can't but the people that really do want the help um it works you know every time the, the approach that that i've kind of pinned down you know um and you know and i'm lucky too because uh some of this information came when i was 10 years old and i became sick and i i i went through an experience where um there, there was um, information given to me during that process that I wouldn't have been able to dream up at a ten, of a ten-year-old. Um, it has in, in, in part of that information is what I what I use to help people. Um, there's it's something that I don't hear from other people, um, and it's something that I would not have been able to you know just uh, you know make up in, in my own ten-year-old mind. Um, and it's something I didn't fully understand at the time either. It was it wasn't until you know a little bit further down the line where the light bulb went off and said, Oh, okay, that's what that meant, you know? And, 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 and it works. And so, um, so it's not just, you know, I'm fortunate to have that information too. And, and, um, and just putting that process to identify trends too was very helpful. And I, I encourage everyone to do that, you know, to don't just look at the obvious. Don't just look at the subject, look outside, look outside of that, you know, um, it, because you're going to find there's a lot more going on and a lot more components to the problem than you think there are. Um, there's there's sometimes several things that can play into this, you know. Well, we we only have a few moments left in the show, but I have to ask. I can't just leave it there. I got to ask you what that what that experience was when you were 10 years old. As much of it as you think you can share with us. Yeah. Um, basically, I got sick, and um, and doctors really didn't know why, and uh, and. I, I I won't go into too much detail about you know bad about family members, but basically I was um um in, in a, I was put in a room and um and I couldn't eat or drink and it was that way for like a, a month and uh, and I got weaker and weaker to the point where I couldn't move I could you know I could talk I could move my eyes and turn my head and move my fingertips but that was it I couldn't get out of bed and and do anything so thing but. Uh, things started to happen around me more and more. Like if I got hot, the window would open up and the air would come blowing in the room. And, you know, like when I could hear like a thunderstorm coming, I'm like, man, I, I wish I could feel some of that breeze and the window would open on its own. Um, and then the same thing, if I got cold, it would shut. But then um, one night I was achy, you know, your body, 
when you're not eating, your body's eating itself, you know, and, and I, I was achy and uncomfortable. And all of a sudden, uh, one night I just got, I was totally like just calm and, and everything felt great. I felt like I was just part of everything around me. And it, that's literally the best way I can explain. It. I literally felt everything around me and, and it felt good for the first time in a long time. And then I noticed there's somebody at the foot of my bed, like they're sitting on something, but there was nothing for them to be sitting on, but almost like, like it was. And, um, and this, this guy says to me, he goes, don't worry. This is happening for a reason. He goes, you, we're trying to reach you through dreams, but that didn't work. So, um, now this has to happen because you need to be brought here so you can help people because that's your, that's your purpose. And so, um, now, that reoccurring, uh, he said he was trying to reach me through dreams. Ever since I was little, I had a reoccurring dream almost every night that my family was camping at a campground and there was this raging river that was really wide and it was just going really fast. And over on the other side, there was, um, people there, there was a campfire and there's, there's Native Americans, there's, um, you know, different people, walks of life and different, you know, ages and, and they were, waving me over it was like they were celebrating that i was there and they wanted me to go over there and i wanted to go over there and every time i did my mother would grab me in my dream and pull me into the camper said no you can't you can't go over there you know but i was like but i wanted to you know and and so it, it was always disrupted but um so i believe he was referring because he was one of the people that was in my dream on the other side it, the one that was sitting by my bed telling me all this um and then um then he he told me things um that I won't, I won't go into, uh, right now, but, um, the things that I, I've used to help, help people, I was given information. Um, so that night actually, um, my mother and stepfather came in, um, I actually watched, uh, my stepfather pick me up and carry me down the stairs and I was falling behind them and I could see myself and whatnot. Um, I wake back up in my body in, in the car, then went and I pass out again and then I, I follow them carrying me into the emergency room. I was behind them higher. I was probably like maybe 20 foot in the air and just kind of like going behind them at the same speed. Then I saw myself, um, laying on, on, a, on, on the, the table in the, in the emergency room and I watched them around me, you know, and then, uh, then I wake back up in an elevator and, um, and that, then I, I remained, you know, that way the rest of the stay. But after being in ICU for a few, um, and then yeah, like, I don't know, like three or four days. And then, um, one night I was watching football and I was still really weak and sick. This nurse comes in and she sat by the, the, my, my head and she was stroking my hair. And she's like, I miss doing this with my son. She goes, I used to watch this stuff with my son all the time and I really miss it. And, and I ended up falling asleep and, um, which, I wanted to watch the game, but I ended up, she comforted me so much. I ended up falling asleep and I woke up in the middle of the night cause they used to come in my room with a flashlight to make sure I could wake up and check on me and stuff. And so they did. And I, I said, you know, where's the other nurse? She goes, what other nurse? And I, and I explained, you know, her and, and she goes, no, no, honey. She goes, I'm, I'm, I'm the only one on this floor tonight. Oh, she wow. goes, uh, yeah. So, and this lady, she was dressed like a nurse, but differently. And the other kicker too was the, the doctors never, they ran all kinds of tests. They never, Oh, she told me, she goes, and before I fell asleep, she goes, don't worry, because now you're going to be okay. Everything's going to get better now. And so, um, when, um, the, the, and then like I said, the kicker was that 
the doctors ran all kinds of tests. They never knew what was wrong with me. They never found out. They didn't know what was wrong with me. But when she said I was going to get better, I did. And I was, you know, I was in there for, I don't know, I don't, a couple of weeks or something like that. But um, I ended up getting better and going home. Well, and, and it puts you on the path that you're on now. How can people reach out to you if they if they need your services, if they want to talk to you and, and, and see if you can help them out? Uh, Truos.com is my website, T-R-U-E-G-H-O-S-T.com. Um, my email address is on there. My cell phone number is on there. And uh, feel free. I'm going to try to do better updating my appearances and stuff on there because I kind of stink at doing that. But uh, I'll try to get better about that too. But, uh, yeah, that's the best way to, to get me. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again in the future. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. All right, and, and thanks to Paul for recommending that uh, that we reach out to you, too. It was perfect because, you know, this is a, a very under under understood. That doesn't really make any sense. <laughs> but it's, it's a less understood aspect of what it is that, that, that goes on, so I'm glad that you could enlighten us a little bit. Yeah, definitely. I, I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you so much, Shane. Thanks, man. Have a great night. That is uh, Shane Searway. And, again, trueghost.com is his website. If you want to check him out, that does it for us for this week. Uh, We'll be off next week for our Bridgewater Triangle Mysterious Middleborough event. You can join us still. Uh, Get your tickets at SpookySouthCoast.com if you want to join us next Saturday night. Until then, for Matt, for Matt, for Stephanie, for Chris, for Ashley, for everybody, everybody that's not here tonight, and then for myself and the Silent Assassin, we want you all to stay spooktacular.